Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, turn with me in your Bible this morning to uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And this is our sort of our golden text, if you want to call that foundational text for what we've been talking about. And uh, started a couple of Sundays ago, and we started talking about the fact that uh, we all have to tune things up. Our automobiles have to be tuned up. Uh, you know, if, you, if your automobile, if you don't keep it tuned up, Sooner or later, you're going to get in it and you're going to go somewhere and it's going to fail you. And you know, if it fails while you're sitting in your driveway or down the street from your house, that's one thing. But if you're hundreds of miles away from home and your automobile fails you, that's an entirely different thing, isn't it? And so you have to keep it tuned up. And uh, you know, you have to t- keep your, your uh, computer or your, or your uh, devices tuned up and, and uh, everything up to date. Because if you don't, they, they, they start falling apart in their functioning. They don't, they don't work right. And so everything in life has to have tune-ups. Our marriages need tune-ups from time to time. Isn't that right? To keep things functioning right. Well, the same thing is true concerning our faith. Our faith needs ongoing tune-ups to keep it functioning so that uh, in the time of, of opportunity or in the time of need, our faith is working like it should. Amen? Amen. And uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians, he talked about putting on the whole armor of God and he went through the armor. And then when he got down close to the end, he said, and above all things, above all these things, take the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. See, the wicked one, this course is talking about the devil, the wicked one will attack you. If you haven't learned that, you haven't been saved very long. The enemy will attack you. He will throw his, his best at you. And, and Paul said, the, the shield of faith, with the shield of faith, we can quench. That means that, means that when those fiery darts come, they fizzle out. Their fire is, you know, they still come, but the fire fizzles. How many times have you had the devil attack you and you just stood your ground and, and the fire just fizzled and you just stood there rejoicing, thanking God, oh, hallelujah, blow away the smoke, glory to God, and just thank God, amen, for his protection, his mercy. Well, that comes by using the, the shield of faith. So we want to keep our faith tuned up, isn't that right? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, that's, you know, there, there are scriptures that you can look at one way or another and, you know, you can, you can interpret one way or another and apply it one way or another and some things, you know, you can disagree on. You know, you can't misunderstand that statement. Without faith... He didn't say without faith it's unlikely to please God. He said without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, that makes faith very, very important. You hear me say that a lot, amen? We also found out that uh, faith only comes 
by hearing the word of God. Faith does not come any other way. Faith doesn't come by uh, chance. Faith doesn't come by the sovereignty of God. That God just, you know, in his sovereignty, he picks out certain people and he uh, endows them with faith and, and, and so forth. That's, that's what people used to believe. That, that was the Calvinist. Sorry, Calvin and, and Sue here. <laughs> we have our own Calvinist today. But they're not of that sort. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they believe that if God willed for you to be saved, then you would be saved. And if, and if it was not his will for you to be saved, then there was really nothing you could do about it. And of course, that's not true. God doesn't just will one person to be saved. God, God wills, he said he's not willing that any perish. And that's right, isn't it? Well, by the same token, God doesn't just will some people to have faith. He doesn't just endow some people with faith and then withhold faith from other people. That's not the way it works. Faith comes by hearing. That's the only way it comes. And the good thing about that is we can be hearers. We choose whether or not we hear. So faith only comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't come by praying for it. It doesn't come by fasting for it. It doesn't come by, by holiness. As important as prayer and fasting and holiness are, it, that's not how faith comes. Faith only comes by hearing the word of God. And so we pointed this out on the first Sunday, I guess two weeks ago, that since God, since it's impossible to please God without faith, and since faith only comes by hearing the word of God, and since nothing else in our daily routine that we do, and there are a lot of things, you, if you just sat down and tried to think about all the things, you, you'd, be, you'd get tired just thinking about all the things that you have to do. And these are, these are not bad things, necessary things. I mean, you have, you have to brush your teeth, but you don't get faith from it. There are a lot of things that we do every day that don't produce an ounce of faith and we have to do them. Faith only comes by hearing the word of God and, and since it's impossible to please God without faith, then we need to make sure we're hearing the word of God every day. And if you don't, if you don't, do something to figuratively tie a, a string around your finger or something to make yourself take the, the, the opportunity and, and create the opportunity, the time slot in your day to get into the Word of God. If you don't do that, your day will take you over. Isn't that right? Some people do it in the morning. Some people do it in the afternoon. It's best to, to, to be mindful of God's Word all day long. And so to, to remind, you have to get in the habit of reminding yourself. It, it's a good habit just to go through the day reminding yourself of how good God is and how good he's been to you and his blessings. Because when you start thinking about his blessings, you start, you start thinking about his word and what his word says about all those blessings. Isn't that right? Faith comes by hearing, so we have to make sure that we hear the word of God. Amen. We also pointed this out. We really didn't go into it very far. There must be a continual, there must be the continual present tense action of hearing the word of God. Go with me to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs four. We 
This is a very familiar passage to us because we refer to it sometimes, but uh, it's, it's good to, to look at it again. In verse 20, Proverbs 4, verse 20, Solomon is giving his instruction to his son. And he said, my son, give attention to my words. Well, we know that this wasn't just Solomon speaking to his son. These words were inspired by the Holy Ghost. This is God speaking to us, his sons. Isn't that right? He said, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. We're going to talk a little bit about that part of it today. Inclining your ear to his sayings. He said, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them, his words, in the midst of your heart. That's where the word of God works. It works in your heart. It, 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 your mind has an important part to play in that your mind is, is uh, the organizer and we have to renew our mind with the word of God so that, so that we don't allow ourselves to drift off of the truth. But the word does its powerful working in our heart. And that's where revelation, that's where illumination by the spirit comes from is when the word gets down in your heart. He said, do not let, keep them, he said, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. God's words are life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. God's word is life to us. It's, it's wisdom to us. It's enlightenment to us. It's health to our flesh. It's, it's abundance to our pocketbook, our bank accounts. God's, God's word is the is the avenue, God's word is the conduit through, whom his, through which his blessings flow to us. And so whatever those blessings are, and there's all different kinds of blessings, they come to us by giving attention to his word. Isn't that right? And, and you see that in the, in the many stories in the New Testament where people received a miracle or a touch from God. You see that it came by the word of God. Go over with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, some really interesting phrasing in here that stands out to me. Uh, of course, in, in chapter 10 is where the apostle Peter, you know, he went up on the rooftop to pray and, and uh, so forth and uh, he saw the vision of the sheet let down. Well, there was a contingency of people who had, uh, who had come to his house and they were sent by Cornelius from Caesarea and he was a very uh, uh, important person, you know, person of, of, uh, of means and authority and uh, he had seen a vision and an angel had appeared to him and told him to observe or, or told him to send to, uh, to uh, Peter and that Peter would come to him and, and speak to him. Now notice, uh, they, this, is what, this is what the messengers of Cornelius said to the apostle Peter when they arrived at his house. He, he said, well, you know, Peter asked them, why are you here? The, the Lord had already spoken to, 
Peter, the Spirit of God, said, there are three men downstairs. They're seeking you. He said, go with them. Don't doubt. Just go with them. But still, you know, he, Peter was a, just as a, a, a ordinary person as you. He wanted to know what was going on. Why are you here? So he asked him, you know, for what reason have you come? Verse 20, uh, 21. That's Acts 10, 21. They said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house. Now, here's what's interesting. To summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Now, if that was the only place it was phrased like that, you could just say, well, it's just an awkward phrasing. But to our ears, that's, that sounds a little odd. He said that and he was instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And so he invited them in and the next day uh, they went on their way. So uh, let's see what verse we want to go to next. In the 44th chapter, you know, while Peter, he went with them and Cornelius and all of his uh, friends and relatives were there and gathered and he came, Peter came in and spoke. And verse 44 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, that's still, you know, that, that's not real remarkable, but he was speaking these words. While he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the what? The word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. And uh, if we go on over to the 11th chapter and let's look at verse number 13. This is when Peter, after this incident, Peter was called sort of on the carpet by the rulers of, of the church, you know, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they were saying, you know, you went into this Gentile's house because Jews weren't supposed to do that. So Peter, you know, told them the story. And uh, in verse 12, he says, the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words. Now, there, there again, this is too much of, 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 of uh, this couldn't be just an awkward way of saying this. The angel said, send to, to Peter and have him come because he will tell you words. So we repeated that, that, uh, that phrasing, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So here, Cornelius and his household were saved by hearing words, but it wasn't just any words. It was the word of God because faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that's why the angel said it that way. He said, send to, to Peter, have him come and he will tell you words by which you are saved, you will be saved. And while Peter was preaching the word, they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? When uh, the woman with the issue of blood, how was she healed? She was healed when she heard of Jesus. Well, Jesus is the word. When she heard about Jesus, faith arose in her heart. When Paul was there preaching the gospel in the 14th chapter of Acts and 
the man was there who was crippled. And while Paul was preaching, he perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Well, how did he get faith to be healed? It says that he heard Paul preaching. When he heard Paul preaching, faith came up. That's how faith comes. It comes by hearing the word and it doesn't come any other way. That's why if, we, if we're going to be strong in faith and it's impossible to please God unless we are strong in faith, we, we kind, of get, kind of assumed this uh, the first week that when it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. He's talking about strong faith because Jesus rebuked people for having little faith and weak faith and no faith and wavering faith. Isn't that right? He only commanded, commended people who had strong faith or great faith. So when it says that without faith it's impossible to please God, it's talking about having strong faith. Therefore, it's important for us to keep our faith strong. And the only way we can do that is to keep looking into the Word of God, keeping it before us all the time. Now, faith must be a lifestyle and not merely an emergency plan. We, you, I, don't, I shouldn't say we because we don't have one, but a lot of people have emergency plans. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. It's probably a good thing. A lot of people have an emergency plan, particularly if it's during hurricane season. You know, and particularly if you're living on the coast. And particularly if the news uh, is telling you the hurricane's coming your way, you start thinking about an emergency plan should you need it. Well, faith is not supposed to be an emergency plan. But a lot of people treat it that way. They don't feed their faith. They don't really think about it. They come to a church like ours and they hear about faith, but they don't go home and in their daily lives do anything to actually strengthen their faith. But then when the hurricanes of life begin to bear down on them, then they're looking for their faith. And so they, they kick into their emergency faith mode and they want to gather up some faith to, to overcome the challenges of life. I've said it many times before, when the, when the, when the, uh, when the, uh, tropical force winds, hurricanes begin to blow, that is not a good time to start putting down uh, the, the sandbags. Isn't that right? The time to do that is before that happens. Because if you, if you wait until the waves are lapping at the front door to start putting down your sandbags, you, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to need some help. And I'm not saying it can't be done. It can be done, but you're going to probably not do it by yourself. You're going to need somebody to help you. And instead of being a help to somebody else, you're having to have somebody help you. No, we're supposed to be feeding our faith, keeping our faith strong so that when the storms of, of life come, we're ready to raise that shield of faith and say, no, you don't. And it just sizzles and falls. Amen. Amen. And we can join our shields of faith with others. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, go with me to, well, let's, let's look, we look, at, we look at this scripture very often, so let's look at it again. Romans 1, 17. We usually read verse 16 and 17 together, so we'll do that. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the, G, for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this is talking about faith as a lifestyle. We're supposed to live by faith. To live, you can't live by faith if you never think about faith. You can't live, you're not living by faith if you don't feed your faith. If you don't nurture it and if you don't exercise it, except when you're under threat of destruction, that's, you're not living by faith. To live by faith is to make it part of your daily life. That's living by faith. Now, we read this verse. Let's go on over to Hebrews 10, and let's look at this phrase, the just shall live by faith. Let's look at this again. Hebrews 10, and we're going to start in order. You know, you know me. I try, to, I try to stay balanced in doctrine, and context is everything. When you're, when you're studying the Bible. So I always like to put things in context so that we don't uh, misconstrue or misapply things. So in context here, we're, we're looking at verse 39. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. That word perdition means destruction. But to those who believe to the saving of the soul. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, to perdition, destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The just shall live by faith, he said. Now notice, God's saying the just shall live by faith, but he's also saying if anyone draws back, well, draws back from what? Well, if you have to read the context. And so it's best to start uh, in verse 26, but to save time, we're not going to read all of this. And in verse 26, he starts talking about uh, people who once enlightened and once are saved, they begin to, re they start rejecting truth. And there's a danger of someone actually losing their salvation by rejecting the knowledge of Christ. And so he's talking about that. And he goes on to talk about how in the former days of these Hebrews, how they endured such persecution. And he said, you need to, you need to remember that you, you endured these things, but you maintained the victory by standing steadfast. And he talks about that. And he said, you, you, I was made a, a, a spectacle. You were made a, a spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and so forth. And in verse 35, he says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Now, the confidence he's talking about here is the confidence of the promise of salvation. Don't cast away that. You stood in faith. Don't throw that away. So he's talking primarily about faith for salvation. I just want to make sure we've got the context. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Well, the promise is the promise of salvation. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. We've, we've rejoiced about that this morning. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the, the faith that he's talking about is faith for salvation, and that's the promise that's under discussion. 
the drawing back is drawing back or, or drawing back from faith for salvation. And he said, my soul, God said, I will have no pleasure in that. But you know that the same thing would be true regardless of the pleasure of, uh, or the promise of God. Whatever God's promise is, he takes pleasure without faith. It's impossible to please God. He takes pleasure in us when we exercise faith, not just for salvation, but for whatever we're exercising faith for. Whatever the promise of God is, it would be the same. And he said, he said, you have, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, whatever it is that God's will is for your life, when you begin to take that word and you begin to act on that, and you begin to believe God, and you take him at his word, and you start, and you start ordering your life in, in, in by steps of faith. He said, don't stop doing that. Because after you've done the will of God, you, you must persist and stay with it, with it so that you receive the reward. And so that's the context he's talking about. The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, he said, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, the, the way we know that this not only applies to salvation is we see this in the ministry of Jesus. Remember when Jesus told his disciples he had ministered all day and, and, and uh, in the evening he said, let's go to the other side. So they all got in the boat. And, you know, Jesus, the Bible says that, that faith comes by hearing the word. Well, when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, there was faith in that. That was the word of God. The disciples did not hear Jesus say, let's go to, out to the middle of the sea of Galilee and let's die out there. <laughs> let's go out there and let's be swamped and let's go under and let's drown. No, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Well, there, there was faith in that word. The disciples said, Jesus said, do it, we're gonna do it. So they set out to take Jesus to the other side. Jesus went to sleep in the boat. That tells me right there that, that he had confidence in them. We know he had confidence in himself at least. But it indicates he probably had confidence in them. But while they're going, a tempest, a storm arose. And they cast away their confidence in the middle of the storm and, and the water is coming into the boat and it looks like it's going down. And so they had to wake Jesus up. I love that. They had to wake him up and, and they started whining. Master, don't you even care? Don't you even care? We're going under and you're sleeping. Don't you even care for us? We laugh. But how many times have we, have we not said similar words to the Lord? Why did you let this happen, Lord? Are you not paying attention? You know, don't you, I mean, don't you love me? I mean, I'm doing what you said do. Notice that Jesus didn't, didn't reach up and take the, you know, the apostle Peter and hug him real close and, you know, dry as I say, that's okay, buddy. Listen, you just, you just, you just straighten up here. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. You bless your heart. 
It's not what he did. He didn't hug them and have a big hug fest and say, oh, you know, you guys, you know, I, I really do love you. I'm sorry I was dozing, but I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> no, he said, why are you so, f they're sinking. They're knee deep in water in the boat. He said, why were you so fearful? Now, in my sometimes carnality, I would have wanted to say, what? Why am I, we're sinking. It's a long way to shore. He said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you don't have any faith? Was he pleased with them? Was this, was this soul salvation, eternal salvation? No, it was just salvation from a natural storm. And he had no pleasure in them because they started in faith, but they didn't stay in faith. The only way to stay in faith is to keep hearing the word, keep applying the word. It's good to start in faith, but you have to. See, excited faith will get you about halfway across the lake. informed faith and fed faith and nurtured faith will keep you steadfast all the way over to the other side. That's what God wants. And the way we do that is to, is to feed ourselves on the word of God. Now, here's what I really wanted to, to get into. Well, we start to get into today. How many, I know everybody would raise their hand. So I'm just gonna, we all know people who have said something like, well, the Lord said, and, and I'm going to do such and such because the Lord said, and as soon as they said it, you thought. And he, just my expression tells you what you, the Lord said what? A lot of people claim to be in faith and they're, and they're making a, a bold effort. They're making a good effort. They're, putting, they're painting a, a, a pretty face on it. Oh, yeah, the Lord told me. And you're thinking, hmm, something about that doesn't sound right. Now, I'll, I'll say this. It's really, it's really not your responsibility whether, God, the, whether the Lord spoke to them. I mean, unless you're married to them or something, you know. <laughs> that helps. But other than, you know, unless you have a real close, you know, uh, relationship like that, it's really none of your business whether the Lord spoke to them or not because the Lord could tell somebody to do something as long as it's not contrary to the word, of course. If it's, you know, contrary to the words, you know better. You know, I've told you these stories. They're absolutely true. I knew this man one time. I've told this story before. He divorced his wife. He said the Lord told him to because she was draining his anointing. The Lord told him to divorce his wife, a Christian woman, God-fearing woman, because she was draining his anointing. He found somebody else that was feeding his anointing, apparently. <laughs> so he remarried. Well, that, you know the Lord wasn't in that because that's not, that's not biblical. But there are other things that the Lord might say to someone that you don't, you don't really know. Well, it's really none of your business. But if you have spiritual discernment, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll think, hmm, that, that's just something about that's not quite right. What I'm talking about is the application of faith requires the wisdom of God. 
Faith has to be acted on. I mean, that's another, we're not getting into all of the different aspects of faith in this tune-up. We're assuming some things that, that people know. Faith without action. James said, faith without, without works, and we know that's not works unto salvation, but works resulting from, from salvation. Faith without corresponding actions is dead, and it won't produce. He said, somebody said, I'll show you, show me your faith. And he said, I'll show you my faith by my works, by my, by my actions. So faith has to be acted on. But in order to act on your faith, that's where you really need the wisdom of God. Because a lot of people try to act beyond their faith. They try to act on, on the level of somebody else's faith. They heard a certain TV preacher talk about something that he did or she did that they, a step that they took in faith and how God came through for them. And, and sometimes people say, well, that, if I'm going to be in faith, I have to do what they did. No, you have to do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. With the, if the Holy Spirit is leading you to, to excuse me, to... If the Holy Spirit is leading you to take your medication or to follow the treatment regimen that's prescribed by your doctor and the Holy Spirit will, will tell you if you need to. If the Holy Spirit is witnessing in your heart that you need to do that but you heard somebody else say, I stopped taking my medication because I believed in my heart that I was healed and I walked away and, and never took another medicine again and God completely healed me and raised me up. If you try to act on what they did when you have a witness in your heart that you need to take the medication, you're not in faith. You can sound like you're in faith. You can, you can uh, uh, you know, couch... Every, everything, you know, in, 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 in faith terminology and, and, and so forth. But if you can't do, you can't be in faith uh, contrary to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we have to have wisdom. And so this is what I, I, I want to get to in the next part of this. Uh, acting in faith requires additional wisdom from the word. Once you, once you know the will of God, then you have to know by the Spirit and by the Word how to take the right steps to do the will of God. And there can be a lot of similarities and sometimes maybe the, the same thing the Lord would say to one person, he would say something different to somebody else. And so it's important that we stay into the, in the word of God to get that additional wisdom. Now go with me, to, with, with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13 uh, is where Jesus taught about the parable of the sower. I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. It's not my intention to teach in depth, in depth on the parable of the sower. Uh, but he, he talks about it in Matthew 13. Mark records it in chapter 4. Luke records it in chapter 8. So in those three locations, we have the same teaching on the parable of the sower. Now, the reason the parable of the sower is so important is the parable of the sower is the parable of the action of the word. It's the parable of the action of the word, how the word works or 
doesn't work in people's lives. They get the word in them, but then it, it doesn't ultimately produce fruit. And what causes that? And when, and when the disciples asked Jesus about the parables, he, they asked him about this parable, and he said, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of the parables. Because this was the parable about the action of the word. Now, again, I, I, I'm not interested in this teaching and going into all the details of the parable. I want us to pay attention. Have you found Matthew 13? We're gonna, Matthew 13 is going to be our main uh, outline here, but hold your place and go over with, with me to Mark chapter 4. There's something that Jesus said in Mark 4 and in Luke 8 that stands out to me. He's talking about in this parable, he's talking about hearing the word of God. The sower sows the word and these are the ones who, who hear the word and so forth. In Mark 4, verse 24, Jesus said to them, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. The Greek says, according to Kenneth Weiss, the Greek word says, keep a watchful eye on what you hear. If you hold your place, well, you can turn, you can turn Mark loose and go over to Luke chapter 8. Jesus said it this way. In verse 18, he said, therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed what you hear, but also take heed, keep, keep a watchful eye on how you hear. The point that I, that I brought up Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, was that let's, let's say f, f, just for the sake of argument that faith came by fasting. We know it doesn't. Faith doesn't come by fasting. Faith comes by here. But let's just assume for a minute that faith came by fasting. Would it matter how, how well you fasted? You know, you can fast donuts and that might be a good thing but that might not that might not be really the fast that the Lord's looking for right if let's say let's say that prayer doesn't come by I mean faith doesn't come by fasting but it comes by prayer would now I lay me down to sleep would that produce faith if faith came by praying it doesn't but if faith came by praying how much faith would you get from now I lay me down to sleep not a whole lot so it matters the quality of our, of our prayer. If faith comes by, by praying, the quality of our prayer would be important. Well, if faith comes by hearing, the quality of our hearing is important. It's not just hearing, it's what we hear and how we hear it. So with that in mind, go with me to um, uh, Matthew 13. He says in verse number 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For everyone who, for whoever has, to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. For many, many years, verse number 11 bothered me because he said, it's been given to you. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them? Who would them be? No, them would be, sorry, I didn't mean to trick you. Them is the, is the multitude. 
Notice in verse 2, a great multitude. No, it doesn't say a great multitude. It said great multitudes. So there were doubtless thousands, at least 10,000, 20,000 people were assembled together to him and he taught them. Uh, he got into a boat, taught them from the, from the boat and as they stood on the shore, thousands, tens of thousands of people and he spoke the parable of the sower and it said, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them? In par- them is the, the outsiders. Them are, are the, the masses. Them is the masses, okay? <laughs> and he answered and said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries, you would be the disciples. It's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, them, the outsiders, the masses, it's not been given. And that used to bother me. Because it sounded to me like God was selecting some people to receive the truth and other people he was not uh, uh, endowing with that blessing. It's been given to you but not to the others. That sounded like Calvinism. (laughs) Brother. (laughs) Sounded like Calvinism. But then one day I discovered what he said in Mark chapter 4. Go back over there. After he taught the parable of the sower, says when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. When he was alone, those around him with the 12. So the disciples doesn't just refer to the 12 apostles. It, it, it refers to all of those who hung around after the teaching was over. The masses of people left, but some stayed around, and and it wasn't just the 12 apostles. There were others who were followers of the Lord. They hung around, and to them, Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. The thing the Lord showed me was anybody in that multitude could have hung around. Anybody of that large group who were outside, they didn't have to be outsiders. They could have stayed. Those who remained with the, with the 12 apostles, they remained. And Jesus said, to you, it's been given to know or to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, the, 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 the secret things of God, the hidden things of God, the wonders of God's grace and blessings, the mysteries of the kingdom. He said, it's been given to you. Why was it given to them? Because they wanted it. Can I say this without, well, it's, it's 11.59, I can say this and run out the door. <laughs> you and I both have all the truth we want. We have all the truth we want. Because if we wanted more, we'd have more. Hello. Looking looking for my exit. (laughs) Because he went on to say, let's go back to, well, we can read it in verse 25 here in, in, in Mark. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Unto him who has, 
more will be given. Now, how, how, can, how, can, how can what one has be taken from him if he doesn't have anything? Whoever does not have even what he has. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Whoever has, whoever does not have even what he has will be taken. Mark, uh, Luke's gospel explains this better. In, in Luke's gospel, it reads, Who, whoever, uh, whoever does not have, it says, even what he seems to have. Or the margin says, even what he thinks he has. See, when you've heard the word, it, it, will read, it goes into your heart. But it also registers in your mind. And in your heart, if you don't do something with that, notice he said, whoever has, more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what, adding what Luke said, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. It's not God who takes it away. God's not taken away. Who takes it away? The sower sowed the word, and the evil one came and took the word out of their heart. Remember the parable? It's the devil who steals the word out of someone's heart if they're not acting on it. But that doesn't mean they forget it. So a lot of Christians receive the word and they might have even been in the second category who rejoiced in the word, began to act on it, or they can be in the third category. They even begin to bear some fruit. But if you, if you stop acting on the word it. If you don't act on what you have, the enemy will take it out of your heart. And you'll think you still have it. Even what he thinks he has. You'll think you still have it. You'll think that you're still operating in faith. How many of you, how many of you have, have, have witnessed or had this experience? You get all stirred up in, a, in the sun. Does anybody ever get stirred up on Sunday morning and... and and, and plan to do better. You get all stirred up on Sunday and it, and it, and it even lasts till Monday. And so you, you make some changes in your life and you spend a little extra time with the Lord and, and you prime that pump. Remember I was talking about, you know, but first when you put, if you want some water out of one of those old pumps, you know, you have to pour a little water in it and prime it. But once it starts flowing, you've gotten there before. We started taking extra time to feed on the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord. And, and, the presence of God begins to flow and the word begins to become real to you again. You know what I'm talking about? And there's a flow to it and you're fellowshipping the Lord and there's fresh revelation. And then life takes over again because it wasn't a clearly fought for habit that you persevered and, and forced into existence. Your, your other habits begin to take over. And after a period of time, the word's no longer real to you like it was. Anybody been there? It's not real like it was. It's not exciting like it was. It's not, uh, there's not that freshness. What, what's happened? You didn't continue to receive the word. Jesus said, to whoever has, more will be given. And he, and, and he went on to say, and he will have abundance. I think it says in Matthew, he will have abundance. And he went on to say, there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. 
Now, that's not talking about the hidden things. of God's not going to reveal everything about him to you. But the things that belong to us, you know, it says over in Deuteronomy, the hidden things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. The things that, are, that belong to us, nothing is hidden from you. Nothing is hidden from you. God has not hidden any truth from you. He has hidden truth for you. He's hidden the truth for you. And, and to those who have, you've, the words come into your heart and you're nurturing that. He said if you have it and you keep it, more will come. And you can have an abundance. That's how some people seem to have so much more wisdom from the word of God than somebody else does. It's just that they've, they've kept it and it's been multiplied. And they've gotten more and more and more. But when you stop acting on it and you stop feeding on it, you, right away you don't know that, you, that, that you're not acting on the word and the, and, and the enemy comes and he looks at you and he says, you don't have anything. He says this, you don't know, he's, he's looking you over. And he's thinking, oh, I found this guy, he thinks he's in the, he doesn't have anything. He's not, he's not in the word. He steals what was in your heart. So you can go from, it's a matter of the haves and the have-nots. It is a matter of the haves and the have-nots. It's a matter of, of those who get and those who don't get. Those who receive, receive more. Those who receive little, because he went on to say, I'm running out of time here, so I want to read all the scriptures, but he went on to say, for the same measure that you use, it's measured back to you. It's right there in that same passage. And, and Jesus used that in, in, in the, in the uh, context of giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What does that mean? It simply means the same diligence and the same effort you give into giving, the same degree, that measure will be measured back to you. Well, the same thing is true where, where the Word of God is concerned. The measure that you use, if your measure of receiving the Word is just Sunday morning, well, you're, you're, you're not going to receive abundance. See, he said, he who has more will be given and he will have abundance. You're not going to receive the abundance if you're not, if you're not, you're not going to receive the more abundantly if you're not receiving greatly. If you're not acting on it and feeding on it, all I'm saying is uh, in order to abound in the wisdom of God, in the knowledge of God, the secret things of God, is you have to feed on it. And faith continues to come. Not just faith, but the revelation of how to act in faith. That's part of faith. The reason a lot of people's faith fail in the middle of the battle is they, is they skipped the wisdom part. They got the word of God on it and they went to act on it, but they didn't continue to feed on the word to get his wisdom on how to act on it. And they got in the middle of the storm and the next thing you know, they're crying out to Jesus, why are you letting me go down? Amen. Oh, I tell you what, it, and let me say this, I'm not talking about spending hours a day. Once you start, if you will make a disciplined uh, uh, determination that I'm going to put the word in me every day, I'm t I promise you, I absolutely promise you 
that it won't be very long at all and, and you, there'll begin to be a flow of revelation and a f- flow of faith coming up in you. And if you will continue to nurture that, you will not only grow in faith, you will grow in the wisdom of faith. How to operate, how to act, what to do, how to apply it. And, and, and the Lord will be able to steer you according to your level of faith. According to, remember Jesus always said, according to your faith be it unto you. And, and God, can, God can lead you, he will lead you to apply your faith in the direction or, or to the degree that you can, that you won't act beyond your faith. And oh, glory to God. Then, and and there, there will be ever-increasing faith. Your faith grows exceedingly. It doesn't grow exceedingly by feeding it once. It grows exceedingly by feeding it. Well, praise the Lord. Does that make any sense? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, praise God. Let's all just stand and thank God for the truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we honor you today. We worship you. Thank you for the word of God. Hallelujah. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our pathway. Glory to God. The entrance of your word gives light. The entrance of your word in our heart gives light. It gives illumination. It gives direction to us. It not only gives us faith, it gives the direction of faith. Faith wisdom comes. Glory to God. So Father, we, are, we, we purpose with one another. We just make a, a community purpose, community declaration in our hearts today. To not just be hearers and then going our way and forgetting The enemy comes and takes that precious truth that stirred in our hearts that that excited us and just because we failed to nurture it, he just comes and takes it away. We don't, Father, we don't want to be that way, that way. We agree with one another today that we're going to be those who persevere. That we don't cast away our confidence. And we keep feeding our faith day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year after year. So that we have, but then more is given to us. And we move from the more to the abundantly more. Glory to God. And we can have that, we can arrive to that place and that season in our life where your grace and your blessings are just overflowing. We know that none of this will come without challenge. We understand that. <clears throat> but we also know that as we feed our faith, we can, we can at any point raise up that shield and quench every attack, every fiery attack the enemy sends our way. We can stop it and walk on in victory. So, Father, that we can, we can enjoy your blessing so that we can be a light to this world. We know we are the light of the world. We know we're the salt of the earth, but we have to keep that light burning brightly. There's no way to do that without communion with you. 
without keeping that communion going so that we're constantly feeding on the word and having you instruct us and teach us in our hearts. Oh, thank God. There is that wonderful life of faith. The righteous shall live by their faith. Father, we're going to be that people. We're going to be that people. We're going to live by faith. Not arrogance, not presumption, not foolishness, faith. Glory to God. We thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. When I was in Bible school, actually in the, in the late 1970s, Fred Price, that is Fred Price Sr., Frederick Casey Price Sr., he did a marvelous teaching, and it was entitled Faith, Foolishness, or Presumption. And when, and when we went to Ramah, there in, 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 that, uh, in that first class, the first class always at, in, in mass, the whole class sat and listened to that Brother Price's teaching on video. They had that, that teaching on video for an entire week. That was one of the, that's one of the first things we did during orientation week as we listened to faith, foolishness, or presumption. The just shall live by faith, but we should not be foolish. God, God doesn't want us to live in foolishness. He doesn't want us to live in presumption. He wants us to live in faith accurately based on the word of God. That's what we're after. That's what God's pleased with. And he's pleased when we stay the course. He's not, he, Jesus is not one when you're not doing right. He's not one to, to take you up and say, well, you poor baby, it's been hard. I know, it's, it's, I just feel sorry for you too. He's just not that way. At least he isn't to me. He's always there to encourage you to step up. Dry your eyes yourself. Step up. Do what's right. But, it, but if you're acting on the word, he is encouraging you all the way. He does me and I know he does you. And so that's, what, that's the way we want to live. Isn't that right? Praise God. Thank God we can. Thank God we can. He's calling us, he's calling this church to a higher walk. And one of those things involves our walk of faith. He's calling us to a higher walk of faith. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.